You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Katie Burke. Today on the podcast, we have returning guest Dan Thiel, Executive Secretary of Ducks Unlimited and COO of Wetlands America Trust. We are back talking about Ducks Unlimited history, and today we are going to talk about our founder, Joseph Knapp Jr., and more game birds of America. So let's start with Joseph Knapp. I will be honest, I have tried to learn more about Joseph Knapp, but he's pretty elusive out there, and it is hard to get a lot of information on him. I know that he is the heir to Metropolitan Life Insurance and that he goes into newspapers, which I'm not exactly sure how that transition actually happens either. So I'm going to go to you. I know you can kind of get us into that beginning story. Well, I love Joseph Knapp. Every organization has their patron saint, and Joseph Knapp would be the Ducks Unlimited patron saint. It's been quoted in the literature that the duck had no better friend than Joseph Knapp. But it's interesting, like you said, there's not a great deal of information. He was a fairly reclusive individual. He did not want much notoriety. Uh, Oftentimes when I talk about DU history or the DU story, I'll often describe the Mount Rushmore of Ducks Unlimited. Who would be on the Mount Rushmore? He'd be the first guy to put on Mount Rushmore. for sure. Had we not had his vision and not had his philanthropy, I don't know that we would ever have gotten started. If you look at the context of the Depression, what a what a challenging time to establish a nonprofit organization for the benefit <laughs> of waterfowl. There's some pretty world-level challenges affecting the world. And here's a guy that's curious about ducks. And, and he puts his vision 
his energy and his pocketbook behind Waterfowl. And so I earlier you said that, you know, the first mention of him was in North American Wildfowlers. He was certainly one of the founders and leaders of more game birds in America. And one of his visions was to better understand the problem. And Joseph Knapp was the money behind what we, I think, refer to it as the International Wild Duck Census of 1935. And, and that could be its own podcast because right. that, that waterfowl survey was groundbreaking and a lot of the way in which they conducted that survey is still utilized today by the Fish and Wildlife Service and Canadian Wildlife Service. So I'll just mention the listeners so they know. I'm pretty sure Mike Brazier, our other host, went through that in a series. So you can go back into the episodes and check out more about the duck census. So to better understand who Joseph Knapp was, born into a wealthy family, as you said, his father was Metropolitan Life Insurance. And somehow he's credited with inventing the six-color press. Okay. And what a lot of people don't, people of today do not realize that the world received its information from newspapers. Many major cities had multiple daily newspapers. But one of the big features in the Sunday paper was, it was called the Rotogravure or the color section. And that was a collection of photographs, both locally, nationally, and internationally, that were put into one large supplement to the newspaper. And that's where his publishing empire really grew to a pretty dramatic number. And and he, he got both into newspaper publishing, but also magazine publishing. But the thing that was his cash cow was the six-color press, which printed the Rotogravure, which every newspaper wanted to have that color section. And so that was Joseph Knapp. Oh, I didn't know that. It's it's also a minor, minor bit of trivia. If someone would ever read the book, Leaders and Legends of Ducks Unlimited, I wrote the piece on Joseph Knapp for that book. His mother, Phoebe Palmer Knapp, was a famous hymn writer. And yep, out of all the 500 hymns she wrote, she's most famous for Blessed Assurance. <laughs> and so, bit of trivia, a lot of people, they don't know who Joseph Knapp was, but they know who his mother was because right. of her experience with hymns. He attended Columbia University or Columbia College. He did not graduate. He went to work early for his father. And then at a fairly early age, he basically bought out his father and really got into the publishing and printing business. And at one time, he he certainly lived in the Gilded Age of society. He had a place on Long Island. He is quite well known. In fact, the most information one finds about Joseph Knapp comes from North Carolina. And I'm going to pronounce it as Mackey Island, M-A-C-K-A-Y. But Mackey Island was his estate. And he bought a couple thousand acres. He built a 35-room home on the island. And he began to immediately, dramatically impact the local environment. He hired local people to work for him. That area of North Carolina was very poor. There were very few employment opportunities. At one time, he employed 60-some people on his property. So most of the people in the little town worked for Knapp. He had a phenomenal interest in public education. And in fact, the school system is named for his philanthropy. 
He funded clothing for school children. He bought all their supplies. He hired a woman from New York City to be the superintendent of the school system. Her salary was far more than North Carolina paid. He paid the rest of her salary. So he had a pretty big impact. Uh, The Knapp name is still very alive and well and respected in North Carolina. Married three times, lived to be 86 years old, passionate hunter, passionate fisherman. When you go online and you Google Joseph Knapp, you find a couple sources um, that have a lot of photographs of the home, the boats, the hunting, the dogs, quite well-known, quite well-respected in that part of the country. Why he's so important to Ducks Unlimited is, as we discussed in the last podcast, more game birds in America had reached a point where their efforts to bring the European method to the United States, I think they figured out it wasn't going to be successful. I think they determined from a fairly scientific approach that raising birds, which is somewhat the European method, was not going to dramatically increase wildfowl populations. And so, Katie, earlier you mentioned um, the, the nest Kidnapping? Yeah, so I was reading the More Waterfowl book that was produced by um, More More Game Birds. And in it, it describes their plan to administer the European method, which is, I don't think this is how it was done in Europe, but this was what their goal was. So a duck, you can make up to two to three clutches a year of eggs. So like, say, if the first clutch they, they lay gets destroyed by a predator, then they can they still have almost like two to three times to try again in a season, in a nesting season. So what they're in this way, they were taking the European method of raising birds and releasing them in the wild. They were going to wait for that first nest and kidnap it, so to speak, um, take that nest and raise it to make sure they all hatch. Because in that they also state like pin rays, I think had that with ducks. Ducks actually have a really um, good success rate in the hatch, but pin rays were around 85%, but of like actually hatching, whereas wild ducks, it's over 90%. So they were going to take the wild ducks and then hatch them in a facility. And ducks will, um, which we all know from like the story, the ugliest duckling, um, they will adopt other ducks. So they were going to try in the first two days after hatch to reintroduce those ducks back to a hen mallard in the wild, and then have that hen raise it. If that didn't work, then they would have to raise them and release it. And that in more waterfowl is like, they kind of describe it as what I read was like, it's definitely not something they were, they weren't sure. It was going to have to be an experiment. Like they needed to test it to see before they actually spent money on that, that method. And I'm not sure when they realize that method doesn't work. But that was kind of what it stated as, is like, we need to see if this is a possibility. So in the history of Ducks Unlimited, I think we have four publications which chronicle our history. The first was in the 1940s. The title is The Ducks Came Back, and it was written by Kip Koss. Kip does a nice job of really telling the story of how more game birds in America became Ducks Unlimited. Four individuals, all affiliated with more game birds in America, were fishing at a lodge on the Beaverkill River in New York. And those four men were Joseph Knapp, John Huntington, Arthur Bartley, and Ray Benson. Ray Benson was on the staff of More Game Birds. He was the publicity director. And they are sitting around the fireplace at the end of the day, and they're talking about what's the next step for the organization. And so it's 
a little bit of free flow of information. They're throwing possible names out. Uh, one of the first names was American Duck Hunters Association. And then the idea was, well, you know, most of our work is going to take place in Canada, and companies and associations in Canada use the word limited. How about Ducks Limited? To which Joseph Knapp famously roared back, by God, we don't want limited ducks. We want unlimited ducks. And that's somewhere the, the, how the story came that Ducks Unlimited got yeah. its name. So <laughs> probably some truth to that. Um, those names I just mentioned, there's, a, there's another name in the history of all of this that we should mention. That is Dwight Huntington. Dwight was an attorney from St. Louis. He was active in the Game Conservation Society. He helped found a gamekeeper school in New Jersey. And his son, John Huntington, back in the day when he and Arthur Bartley were young men and they were working for more game birds for America, those two gentlemen were part of that original wild duck census. So we have to remind or remember that Dwight Huntington, an attorney from St. Louis, 20 years earlier, had some of these same radical ideas about game propagation. Right, and I, I remember when I, this was a while back that I came across this, but I know that Knapp eventually buys and funds that program um, for with like more game birds in mind um, so to produce more people to help in his cause. And, and it, tell me if I'm right, but at some point on Mackey Island, one of his staff goes to that school, correct? That is correct. Yeah, so did he, and I don't know this, did he kind of use Mackey Island as a place to experiment some of these ideas that he had? So Ducks Unlimited is, has a member of a board of the directors by the name of Jay Taylor. Jay lives in North Carolina. He is a student of everything specific to Currituck is the Currituck mm -hmm. Sound. That's a pretty phenomenal place for waterfowl. Always has been and still is to this day. And Jay has tracked down some of the individuals who still have connectivity to Joseph Knapp. Also important to share that um, here at Ducks Unlimited, we have a member of our editorial staff for the magazine, a writer by the name of T. Edward Nickens. Eddie Nickens is a writer for Garden and Gun, Field and Stream, but now he's with us. And Eddie is also a bit of an historian, and Eddie is actually working on a piece which more fully uh, explores who was Joseph Knapp. So it's if you read some of the online sources, and of course uh, online sources are a bit dubious, um, hard to check references on those, but yes, they, and if you read some of the other publications of More Game Birds in America, I mean, they have articles and chapters on how to build a proper pen for raising quail, raising pheasants. So part of that European method was how to propagate birds. Right. And, and these men... While their passion was waterfowl, they were interested in all birds. One of the great photos of Joseph Knapp shows him as a as a much older gentleman with his pockets bulging with seed and corn, and he's feeding some species of pheasant on his stoop at Currituck. So, yes, I think it's safe to say that they did a lot of experimenting with how better to manage waterfowl po mm -hmm. bird populations. I mean, it was a great place to do it. Yes. I kind of want to go back a little bit. Uh, before we get into like the Ducks Unlimited part of where more game birds and Ducks Unlimited goes, like becomes Ducks Unlimited, to the work that more game birds was doing. So we mentioned before American waterfowlers then becomes more game birds. Mm -hmm. And they mention in American waterfowlers when it's 
when that's going away that they need a bigger organization. And one of the things that American Waterfowlers did not discuss on, but where more game birds really started to focus was this uh, that ducks didn't have a line. There was no boundary line for ducks between countries. You know, ducks weren't American. They were North American. Like, you know, that there was no thing. And so that's when that really starts to become that there's no that politics doesn't play a part in, because that's something I find interesting that they were thinking about also in more game birds, because it's something we also think about in Ducks Limited as we work today. They were, we're a bipartisan organization and politics don't come into play. My, ducks migrate. They go from Canada to the United States to Mexico. So um, what was it about like more game birds? Like why... Because this was pre-census that they came out with this. Why did they start changing their thought pattern to this? You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. So based on what I've read, it was a broader understanding of the birds come from Canada. And I think before that time, we weren't really clear on where the birds were coming from. And I believe we discussed last time, even back with American wildfowlers, they sent a survey group, I believe it was to Alberta, and they were on the breeding grounds and they saw something there they weren't seeing in great numbers in the United States. It's important to note that More Game Birds Foundation proposed an international program and they published it under the title of More Waterfowl by Assisting Nature. And the program proposed an international agency to increase waterfowl production, raising necessary funds from sportsmen, which that in itself was a pretty radical right, concept. Right, because I was going to ask you, like, why didn't they just say, hey, Canada, they come from you, why don't you deal with it? Well, I think they saw, because at the time we're in the Depression, neither Canada nor the United States had the funding to do this. Duck hunters are the end users Duck hunters should pay. Uh, Restoration of the breeding grounds in both the United States and Canada. 
providing management personnel because at the time, Katie, there anybody, nobody was working with with birds. I mean, right. if you were to have told your parents, "Hey, I've graduated from college and I'm going to go work to save a species of bird," they would have thought you were crazy because nobody did that in that in that period. The other idea that they had, they really were the first to propose the idea of establishing waterfowl refuges along the major flyways, and that. That became part of what the federal government, both the Canadian government, state government, um, it was more than any one government could accommodate. So both state government, federal government, and the Crown became very active in waterfowl refuges, which had a pretty dramatic positive impact on waterfowl. Also in that, like, first, in their plan, they talk about, and this does not go over into Ducks Limit, so I want to kind of hit on those things. Like, we talked about the European model, which does it, it doesn't become a part of Ducks Limited. But in More Game Birds, they go into, and they have multiple pamphlets on it, extensively about predators. And that's not something that we ultimately even deal with. But you don't see it in there why they abandoned the idea. So why were they so focused? And was it just misinformation? And then they changed their mind, like, once they figured out that it wasn't as important? So let me clear the air on an important <laughs> Fact. Okay. Fact is, Ducks Unlimited was very active in predator control. Okay. And predator control for Ducks Unlimited took place in Canada, and there were multiple ways in which we did it. We shot crows. We shot magpies. I was going to say, crows and magpies seem to be the yes. enemy number one in the history. And the other was you could collect eggs. And so Ducks Unlimited Canada would actually have gatherings in prairie communities Posters would be put up around the town, and children and farmers would gather. They would beat the bushes looking for nests of magpies and crows, and they would bring the eggs, and then they would receive a penny per egg. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, the other thing is they would collect the feet of the, of the crow and the magpie. So yeah. when the hunters would bag the birds, um, and, you know, a lot of people, that's protein. So yeah. they're hunting, snip the legs off, turn them in for a little bit of cash from DU. Back in the day, if a school kid had a nickel, that was that was a, a good amount of money. So those were very effective. And in the archives, I've actually seen posters, um, the posters that were put up in these small towns encouraging people to, you know, go kill crows. Right. I am not clear from the history when we begin to step away from that. And I, and I suspect we discovered, and it's certainly the DU policy today, you're not going to move the needle on waterfowl populations until you begin to make dramatic strides in preserving habitat, conserving places where ducks are born. That became the primary focus. Yeah. If you create the habitat where all of, you know, creation can be and sustain itself, it all kind of works its way out. So, so even to this day, there are organizations and we all know Delta Waterfowl mm -hmm. has a strong tradition of predator control. They work with a number of universities. I've actually toured several Delta Waterfowl Station predator preserves. And picture, if you will, a, call it a 50-acre or 100-acre plot with electrified chain-link fence, and it is the best of the best of the breeding habitat. And in that test area, they'll have dozens of nest per acre. They will still set traps for skunk and other varmints. Mm -hmm. Even through that electrified fence, through the chain link fence, they still capture great numbers of fur-bearing 
mammals that are after those eggs and right. after those hens, they know they're there and they will dig under that fence to get to oh, those yeah. birds. So the, the challenge is we, we have proven, science has proven, predator control works. The, the other challenge is you simply can't do predator control on a landscape large enough to move the needle on waterfowl production. Right. Yeah, I just wanted to like address that part because it's such a big part if you go back and you, I mean, most of these documents are pretty easy to come by. So one of my favorite stories as Ducks Unlimited made the transition from more game birds in America to Ducks Unlimited, our, our forefathers in DU, that group of men I mentioned earlier, they truly believed that if they could raise $600,000 a year over a three-year period, they would have enough money to solve the waterfowl problem. It was a five-year plan. <clears throat> okay, five-year plan. All right. <laughs> when you go back to 1936, and we must keep in mind that they sold subscriptions at $5 a person. In the archives, we have a few of these old $5 membership subscriptions. The records that our people kept in those days are meticulous. Oh, and if you failed goodness. to send your $5, you were going to be followed up. Someone was going to ask you for that $5. <laughs> So <clears throat> the reality is, after the first year's fundraising, they raised just shy of $100,000, far short of the goal. They held a meeting, and it was it had to have been a fairly sobering gathering of leaders to, to, to be looking at your numbers. You've worked so hard, and man, you've, you fell far short of your goal. But they determined to drive forward, and they sent that entire amount of money to Canada, and great things were done with that initial, I believe it was $90,000 that was sent to Canada. And in kind of true DU fashion, we were incredibly efficient. We were incredibly effective. We have to keep in mind, too, that in that era, you could buy land for $10 an acre. Right. You could put an easement for $0.25 cents an acre. So that amount of money went a long way in the 1930s. Right. I know also, and I don't know what came of it, I know eventually we get the tax on ammunition that goes back to conservation. But in more game birds, they really stress this one cent tax. And I think they, the numbers were that they had, they did one cent tax expected to on revenue. They would get 7500000 a year. And then that would have been split between them and then upland birds. So that would still result in $3,500,000 a year. And it's just, did, so did they ever make that happen? How did they like, did that, the one, how did the one cent tax like get initiated or the tax on ammunition? I don't know. I do know that there was, you know, there were a couple of movements and one of those movements dealt with the, and I, Katie, I don't remember the name exactly, but it was like the Sports Shooters Association. Mm -hmm. And that group, they realized the importance of duck hunting to people buying guns and buying ammo. And they did not want to see the the waterfowl population disappear and lose people buying shotguns and shotgun shells. So that association actually sent tens of thousands of dollars to DU back in those early days. Okay. So to go back a little bit on Knapp, and so Ducks Limited was formed in 1937, and he's a part of that founding group. But one thing I've noticed and I don't have the answer to is he kind of disappears after the founding. Like he's not as in the other members have roles and you 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 see them in the history. But what happens to Knapp? He has he doesn't die until 1951, so there's another 14 years. What does he do with those 14 years? So it's important to note that um, 
They wrote to him frequently uh, in our archives. I've seen the correspondence. It's pretty fascinating when you consider what travel and commerce was like in that era. They traveled by train. They did a lot of work by telegraph and telephone. And John Huntington and Arthur Bartley traveled the United States. They would stay in hotels. They would go to Denver. They would call upon a banker, and they would ask that banker, who's the duck hunter in your bank? That banker would tell Arthur Bartley who his, who his duck hunters were. And then they would solicit those duck hunters. They would have meetings, dinners. Essentially, it's some of the same work DU does today. I mean, DU works in all communities in the United States. We're always on the search for individuals who love waterfowling and conservation. And just like we do today, those two gentlemen single-handedly began to recruit like-minded sportsmen to support the cause. And in the correspondence, um, I can picture beautifully written, typewritten letters typed in San Francisco, sent to Joseph Knapp in New York City, identifying we met with 17 people, we received $2,400, it was a very productive trip. So they kept the old man very much informed. As I understand it, he was offered, asked, and begged to be a leader. He knew he was being, he was getting too old to be a leader. And in fact, the person that was, I believe, the first president of Ducks Unlimited, Dr. Hartwell, actually died in office because he was in poor health. And during that early, early, you know, those most important formative years, the age and health of these individuals was a challenge. And it is, it's really quite incredible that they were able to recruit Arthur Bartley at such an, a young age, and we'll have to have a podcast on Arthur Bartley because Arthur Bartley served this organization right. from 1937 to 1970. Oh, 70, okay. Yeah, I mean, quite quite some time. Um, you know, his entire career was d- devoted to Ducks Unlimited. I, just for the record, I will also have Arthur Bartley on the Mount Rushmore. Okay, <laughs> good to know. Before we end, I need to know the other two. Uh Jim Kennedy and John Tomkey. Well, um, are, is there anything more to add before we end on Nap and more game birds before we go into the beginnings of Ducks Unlimited? So the one thing I would offer, Katie, uh, in fact, you and I are the two that are doing it. Earlier, I mentioned Jay Taylor. Jay Taylor has actually tracked down and donated one of Joseph Knapp's shotguns, and it's now on site here at National Headquarters. We are working on... It's really quite incredible. Here we are, 84 years old, and we really have nothing that tells the Joseph Knapp story at our national headquarters. And you and I are working to resolve that and give this individual the recognition that he so richly deserves because had there not been a Joseph Knapp, we would not have a Ducks Unlimited. Correct. So, yes, anyone out there, if you're listening and you have artifacts, pictures of Joseph Knapp, please share because we are looking. We don't have a lot. We have a decoy and a weather vane and a gun, but that's about the extent of it. Please share your information. Well, thank you, Dan, for coming on the show. Always great to be with you, Katie. Special thanks to our guest today, Dan Thiel. Also, thanks to our producer, Clay Baird. And thanks to y'all for hanging out with us today and supporting wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Ducks.
you and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. 